all right. What is up, y'all? This is John Lawrence with Anesthesia Guidebook. This is episode 69, titled Thrive in Training, How to Start Strong. This is the third episode in the Thrive in Training series designed to help physician and nurse anesthesia trainees figure out how to succeed in training. Before we jump in, I just want to say thanks to all the folks who follow Anesthesia Guidebook on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I really appreciate your feedback and interaction on those platforms. You can always reach me by emailing me at john, J-O-N, at anesthesiaguidebook.com or on those social media accounts. I don't have notifications turned on for social media accounts because it's one little step towards using them versus letting them use you. So be sure to shoot me an email if you've DM'd me and I haven't replied in a timely fashion. Also, please take a minute and drop a review of Anesthesia Guidebook on Apple Podcasts. It is the number one platform for podcasts, and your rating and review helps other people find and trust the show. The best way for this whole thing to spread is through word of mouth. So drop a review, let people see what you think about the show. And send a link, of course, to your friends and your classmates or colleagues. I also want to let you know that I was recently interviewed by David Warren, who's an experienced emergency medicine nurse practitioner who decided to go to CRNA school. So he was an emergency medicine NP for about seven years or so, and then now he is uh, just getting going with CRNA school, and he runs a YouTube channel as David Warren, is how you can find him on YouTube, David Warren. So if you want to see some more backstory, if you want to hear a little bit of the backstory on my path to and through anesthesia school, we talk about that. We talk about provider wellness and why that's such a big focus of anesthesia guidebook, and also even a bit on wilderness medicine, which I've got a background teaching in through Knowles and Landmark Learning. So head over to YouTube and check that out. It's David Warren. And that came out just last week in the middle of February, 2022. And thanks, David, for a great chat and good luck in anesthesia school, of course. All right. So if you're just joining us, the first episode in the series was an overview of where we're headed, of course, with the whole series and a rundown on why you need to really anchor down and know your why, the underlying motivation for getting through school. It's this foundational goal, belief, perspective, or reason that will keep you going when the path seems super difficult and challenging. In the second episode, the last episode, Kara Michalov and Mason McDowell share their insights on how to prepare for anesthesia training. And now they're back in this episode to give you their top tips for how to start strong and be successful throughout your anesthesia program. In later episodes in the series, we're going to dive into many of these topics in more detail, but in this episode, we discuss how to start strong, should you work or moonlight during training, advice for starting clinical, how to socialize or not in the OR as a resident, how to recover from novice mistakes and keep going, how to pick yourself up and keep moving, goal setting with preceptors and communication with preceptors how to develop a project or thesis and tips for that, and then advice on studying for boards. I absolutely love this episode. Karen Mason brings so many insights. They're fun to listen to. Uh, They give you a lot of tips that will help you get your priorities straight and get off to a great start in your anesthesia program. So I think you're going to really enjoy this. At the time of this interview, Mason McDowell was an associate professor and former assistant director of the nurse anesthesia program at Western Carolina University. 
His doctorate of nursing anesthesia practice was from Texas Wesleyan and included research that focused on perioperative patient management and cardiac risk assessment. He is the co-author of Hepatobiliary and Gastrointestinal Disturbances and Anesthesia. That's a chapter in Nagelhout's Nurse Anesthesia textbook. And a few weeks after this interview in 2015, Mason moved with his wife and two daughters to Bier Chad to provide anesthesia full-time. You can hear more about that story in episodes 61 and 62 of Anesthesia Guidebook, why they chose to leave everything behind, literally sell everything and move to the middle of the middle of Africa uh, to a very impoverished place to provide anesthesia. The stories out of that are harrowing, and I think you would, uh, if you haven't caught those episodes 61 and 62, you definitely owe it to yourself to go back and check those out. It's really incredible stories. And also, at the time of this interview, Kara Mikulov was a CRNA in Asheville, North Carolina, who had not long prior to this interview graduated from anesthesia school at Western Carolina University. Kara Mason are co-authors of an article titled Intravenous Acetaminophen and Intravenous Ketorolac for Management of Pediatric Surgical Patients, a Literature Review, which was published in the February 2014 edition of the AANA Journal. And a remarkable note on this paper, so Kara Michalov, this was her graduate project at Western Carolina University, and her and the primary co-author, Kit Bailey, who was also an SRNA with Kara and co-authored this study, along with Dr. McDowell and another professor at the university, when they submitted their paper for publication, they received no request for corrections or updates or tweaks from their peer reviewers, which is remarkable. So they submitted their paper and got no feedback. And it wasn't for lack of reading the paper by the peer reviewers. They essentially wrote a perfect paper. So nice job, Kara and Kit. You can go check that paper out. The link is going to be in the show notes. And one more thing, I originally released this episode back on February 21st, 2015, when I was actually still an SRNA at Western Carolina University. This first came out on the podcast from the head of the bed, which was the predecessor to Anesthesia Guidebook. And at the time, you should know, I was using a tabletop microphone that caught a lot of the room noise, HVAC and that kind of stuff. And the audio quality just really wasn't that great. So I've tried to clean it up as much as possible, but please bear with me on the audio quality. And uh, just know that Kara and Mason's advice is still completely golden. And I think you're really going to enjoy this. And with that, let's get to the show. What's your advice for folks on how to be successful in grad school? I mean, aside from obvious, like studying and whatnot, I think it's I picked, not as obvious as you think. I know. Well, I know, <laughs> unfortunately, but you know, going back to you know the fact that it is going to be a stress on your family, I tried to pick a day a week that was just not school. You know, and the first semester here was was a little easier. Or I don't know. I don't know how other programs run exactly. Sure. But you know, first semester only having class during the week and I'm in clinical, you know, I would spend the rest of those days doing schoolwork also. And then Saturday or Sunday was consistently no books day, try and spend time with my family, do things and try and not talk about school because I'm sure that got old coming home and just talking about school right. every other day. So I think that helps in terms of my relationships some maybe 
keeping it slightly less strained. If I'm already going to get up and go to school that day, then that day is going to be school. And then a day that I'm not getting up and going, I'll be in not school. I've heard some folks say, uh, treat it like a job. Eight mm-hmm. to five, Monday through mm-hmm. Friday. You don't have class eight to five, Monday through Friday. But if you just say this is a full-time job, you can get that large volume of studying and reading mm-hmm. in into those 40 hours. I definitely would encourage that. You know, you had a job before you got to graduate school. You probably worked 40 hours. Some people worked more. I, I always say, give me at least what you gave your job, and, and I'd like more. So as much as I think students should have balance, and now with some experience looking back, I do think successful students have a balance in their life. But, you know, early on, these first semester grad students, I tell them, give me 50 hours. You know, they probably, they may not hit that number, but put everything you can to be successful in the first semester. You don't want to play catch up. And then you'll sort of try, fail, and adjust, or try, succeed, and then maybe back off a little bit and, you know, start mountain biking while you're in school. I think if you can attack your exams and, you know, in this program, we've got three exams, you know, one to start with kind of one midway and then one comprehensive exam that has new content plus the content from the entire semester. And if you can just smash that first exam out of the park, it gives you the breathing room to go into your subsequent exams with some confidence. If you can just attack it early, you've got that extra breathing room and it just sets you up for success. So go big, go hard. And I think especially for your first round of exams, if you remember what it's like to be that in that first semester of anesthesia school, you don't know how they're going to test. You don't know what the exams are like. If you're going to err on the side of going crazy in anesthesia school, go crazy for that first month and a half until you hit your first <laughs> round of exams. And then you can judge how to peel back. But if you're trying to rev up after that, uh, you've got a steep rest of the semester to contend with. Yeah, I agree totally. I think you need to quickly figure out too how you study because I think that for a lot of people coming in at least for me and this sounds arrogant I don't mean it that way but like nursing school really wasn't very hard Mm -hmm. in college and high school and all that really weren't very hard and I don't think I had good study skills like I didn't really know how I studied I just kind of read and kind of remembered what things looked like and I kind of quickly first semester of school had to figure out how I needed to learn and budget my time because there's no way to read everything unless you're a speed reader and I read slowly and so I had to figure or out how to Or unless I Dr. Really McDowell, you read it all ahead of time. Right, right. <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> but so, you know, for me, I had to really kind of figure out how I actually can learn from studying. I think one of I the... Because I really didn't know how to do that before mm-hmm. yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. I think one of the biggest differences with anesthesia school is the volume of material you're expected to just memorize and just to know. Yeah. I think I could get through previous degrees in education through kind of understanding concepts and approaching exams. If I kind of have a vague idea of how this works, I can process of elimination, figure it out. But here, if you don't know the nerve or the value, the number, the equation, you're not going to be successful. And you really have to have that down. You can't come in with general concepts and do well on an exam. You really have to just memorize volumes and volumes of information. So figuring out how to get all of that in your head and retain that for exams and then do it all again for a comprehensive exam. That was kind of a different way of of studying for me as well. Yeah, and that's why I think getting all that basic 
like we said before, physiology, pharmacology stuff ahead of time will make it a little easier because if you're trying to learn all this new information, it's going to be a lot easier to build it on already knowing, exactly. like you said, nerves and things. It's going to be a lot harder if you have to learn all those and then the next step. The how to block to in. And what yeah, the, yeah. Like already understanding how that works is going to help you save time. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Understand what's going on now. What do you all think about SRNAs who want to work in school? My observation is it doesn't work well. Uh, we have had students who do PRN work on their weekends or even if they have an off day in class and there are times when there's not a class day and you think, well, I'll just pick up a shift. I think, you know, we've probably reflected already on the time commitment really required to be successful and, you know, for you to decide to pick up a 12-hour shift in the ICU is time that you could have spent relaxing, sleeping, being with your your friends or family, you know, exercising, whatever it is. So the money might seem at the time like a real necessity, and and I there is a problem with with student loans and debt when you graduate. I see that, but if you think of the number of shifts possible that you could pick up through anesthesia school, it's not that many. You know, it wouldn't be that many times that you could even try. So that amount of money, you know, a thousand, two thousand. I don't know how much money you could earn in a PRN basis, but. Um, it's probably not worth it. I would say find a way, you know, loans or prepare, you know, talk about getting ready for anesthesia school. Exactly. Save your money before you start. You know, if you have a working spouse, that's great. Um, but if you're on your own, one of the ways you prepare for school is not just mentally, it's financially. Exactly. It's just, it's n no way is it better to take loans than to save it ahead of time. If you can save it, you know, there's no interest there, right? What do you think about moving into the clinical environments? Here at WCU, we have a whole semester of didactic information. You get a lot of anesthesia information. Other programs start students earlier in the clinical environment. But just in general, you've got folks that have critical care experience, a little bit of anesthesia experience. They're hitting the doors of the OR. What would you encourage those students to think about and prepare for and maybe some hallmarks kind of throughout their program, how to operate as SRNAs in the operating room? At least for this program, when you start, you know, we start earlier than some programs, but later than and other programs and I think you know those first couple weeks in the OR people know you don't know things there but you should definitely know what you should already know mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean that sounds stupid but if you've learned you know induction drugs and you know these basic things then you should know that stuff and right. maybe you've never done one so somebody will walk you through it but you should know the drug if you're going to give that drug know it you know especially if you've already learned it so everybody nobody expects you to to know much clinically but they expect you to know things didactically they know things Correct. you should be full of the book knowledge and now you're going to show them how you can put that into clinical practice and so Correct. if you show up not knowing that didactic stuff then they're going to have less faith in you clinically. Right. Because mm -hmm. that's the you best, have to have something. That's the best advice yeah. right there is if, if you know something and you can inspire a little bit of confidence that, you know, wow, she actually knows how many cc's to put in the syringe, you know, for an induction of, you know, with succinylcholine and propofol or whatever that, yeah. that goes a long way to letting them, they'll let you do the next steps and the next steps. So right. that was, even though it sounded funny, know what you should already know. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know that, then why should I let you do anything else? Because A, you've had, you know, this semester, semester and a half of school that you learned this and B, you also knew, knew the case you were going to get. I wasn't asking you anything crazy. I was just saying, 
what drug do you want? You should have thought about that. And if you didn't, then that, you know, it seems like maybe you're not taking it seriously. Why should I let right. you do anything else? So. And to reflect, we're talking about the early weeks and yeah. months of clinical. Sure. Because there will come a time, talk about being a self-motivated grad student, that you're going to far and away exceed you know what you've learned in school but you still have to apply it in the operating room you know you can't say well we haven't learned that yet we haven't studied that disease you know that's when it's you figure that out the night before when things are sort of pre-planned or prepared so you have to you have to bypass well we didn't get that lecture yet the expectation eventually will be well you you should have taught it to yourself last night or right. asked me right. early this morning so no uh, no excuse for not planning ahead it right. seems like you're in school, you're going big, plan ahead, study for clinicals, be prepared, show up, those mm-hmm. kind of things. Great. And just like interviews, I would say dress professionally, be on time, be early, stay late, be nice. Mm-hmm. I think one of the big changes is as critical care nurses kind of had your crew that you worked with, you're familiar with the doctors, you have a degree of casualness in your work setting. When you enter back into the student mode, kind of reeling that in a little bit and realizing that you're the student, they're the preceptor they're the doctors you're there by invitation so to always err on the side of being professional you know there may come a time where you feel comfortable to you know have a candid conversation with somebody but in general and if you hesitate it's probably better to <laughs> not invite yourself into the joke or the or conversation or those kind of things yeah, but, i'm nodding my head emphatically i right. think that's sound advice you know we we say it kind of jokingly but really it's you know be quiet be a anonymous when you're brand new you know if they ask you a question you answer but you don't you don't need to initiate a lot of things and certainly one of the things you don't initiate is is you know a knock knock joke or whatever it is you you kind of stay away from that fray and eventually you, you'll grow into figuring out the situation and when it's right and acceptable but if you are a really outgoing personality uh, which some of us are in anesthesia school that is uh, that is a trait that will serve you well when you're a professional you just have to rein it in a little bit as a grad student and remember to stay a little bit more on the professional side. It's, you can't hurt yourself by being professional. Exactly. Let's say we're into the clinical environment and either you bomb an exam or you have a really hard day in clinical. What's your pep talk for these students? How do you how do you get them back on board and moving forward? I tend to use a little bit of sarcasm. Remind them that they were a really good ICU nurse and they have something to fall back on. <laughs> I heard that more than once. <laughs> no, of course not. Um, yeah, it, it truly is just remind them that, that it's a process. And when students do, when they truly do something wrong, and you know, wrong is a relative term but when they do something incorrectly I say you know you're gaining experience right now and my expectation would be that you wouldn't repeat something that is avoidable but you make a mistake it sticks with you and it changes the way you learn and the way you practice one day in the future so take it for what it is you know if it was something that you know was really egregious then we'll have a a much more direct and, and stern conversation about how our expectations weren't met and we're going to change your path your direction and behavior or whatever it was but that generally isn't the issue usually it's a it's a little mistake or a fault that they gain really good experience from and you know if we have a seminar class they can share that situation with their classmates and then everybody learns from a mistake and you know mistake or learning opportunity you can sort of interchange those words most of the time. I think it's hard, you know, stuff like that because I think most anesthesia students are intelligent. They probably always did well before. 
and it's kind of hard to actually really be challenged. Mm-hmm. And so you do take it really personally. And so for me, at least, I tried every day, like whether it was school or clinical, you know, every day is like, all right, there's going to be one thing that I feel like I did really well and at least one thing that I need to work on. And so I tried to balance myself that way. So I'd come home from clinical and maybe everything didn't go the way I wanted, but I always made sure I found like one thing that... I did a really good job at it and it didn't matter how big or small it was. It could be somebody, like I made myself work with somebody that I knew was going to be really challenging and stressful, but I got through the day Great. and they didn't yell at me. So mm-hmm. then that was, that was my good thing I Achievement. did. Or, you know, I got a pat on the shoulder from somebody that terrified me, you know, that was a good day or, right. but truly, you know, and that was my good thing. And then the thing that I was going to work on was something else. Cause I always messed up, you know, you're going to mess stuff up, mm-hmm. but you can't only focus on that. Cause that's going to beat you down. Yeah. You know, you did badly on a test, but you also did well on other things so what are you going to learn from the thing right. that you didn't do what you did badly on the test why like how, how are you what are you going to learn from that like did you really not know the material well you better know it for the next test right. or was there something else going on in your life that you need to mm-hmm. figure out so that that doesn't keep happening exactly you know, learning and generally speaking the the silly things that you do the mistakes you might make in the operating room it's a small community you know your best approach might be just to mention it to whoever your clinical education coordinator is or you know your faculty assistant like in my role, I, I manage most of the clinical things. So rather the student tells me first or I get a text message from a CRNA or an email or a phone call, there's a good chance I'm going to find out about it. Whatever the thing was, you might as well approach me first and say, look, this happened in clinical this is what I think I could have done differently or how would you have handled it or whatever it is. Sometimes it's just a, you know, a confessional opportunity. And that, that's, I mean, that I think it could be cathartic for the student to just get it off their sure. chest. And then once they're done, you know, telling me everything that happened, I usually say something like, yeah, I know I already heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're saying, so you're saying from a professor or director role that for your personal style or the style of this university, that you invite that kind of open and candid conversation about yeah. I'm non-punitive, I'm sure. Absolutely. But inviting that kind of feedback from students. I, I think it helps them hear, hear somebody that's got experience or even from just the faculty side that says, you know, it's okay. Remind you, it's okay right. to make mistakes. You know, if you if you make a lot of mistakes and you never, ever improve, you know, that, that, that w- there will be consequences to that. But I think most faculty have an open door. And even take it away from the university, you have maybe a CRNA you trust or a clinical coordinator at the hospital that you trust. Go to them. That's okay, too. Too, but try to close the loop on, you know, areas that could have been improve, improved. And some of that comes from conversation with people. I did this. What could I have done better? Exactly. I think it's humbling to recognize that you're the novice again. You know, you're used mm-hmm. to being preceptor in the critical care environment. Uh, you're on all the committees and, you know, shared decision making. You had your CCRN and you excelled and you're going to anesthesia school and you got in and everything is going well for you. And you hit anesthesia school and you are at the novice level again. And you've got to work through all of those stages of growth to, you know, beginner and competency and, you know, progressing on to, you know, the phenomenal expert clinicians that we all hope to be someday. So it can be, it's a, it's a long road, but I think that's great advice that both of you gave to take mistakes in stride, investigate what's going on, try not to make them habitual, figure out plans, whether it's studying or communicating or preparing more, um, have mentors, those kind of things that you can talk to and get support with and, and keep on going. I think one of the challenging things in anesthesia school is sometimes, especially in the clinical environment, is that you say something completely stupid or you reach for the wrong drug or you tube the goose your first couple of times trying to intubate. <laughs> and you've got to you've got to pick up and go do the next case. You've got to 
to go, you know, inspire confidence in that next patient who's not yet anesthetized, you know, and that can be hard for students to figure out as well, as I'm sure it is clinically. If you have a tough case clinically, it's a CRNA, you've got to turn around mm-hmm. and continue on with your day. What do you all that think That is kind that? of um, the idea of professional socialization, and that takes a lot of different paths, but one of them is exactly that. You have a bad case. Maybe there's even a, a really bad outcome. Staffing generally is not sufficient so that you just say, well, I'm going to sit out the next inning, coach. Right. The next patient needs you to, to give 100%. So take whatever time is necessary to clear your head, you know, if it's a simple mistake or an actual intraoperative death, which doesn't happen very often, clearly. But you need to give that next patient, you know, the attention and care that you would want for your, your own family. Great. Assuming you like your family. Indeed. Great. I think, too, precepting students, you know, preceptors are looking for how you handle yourself after that like if you pick up the wrong drug or they have to correct you or you do something you you like you said intubate wrong or something they want to see how you move on from that because that also shows things about you like did you let that throw off the rest of your day right or did you say well here's what i thought and can i talk to you about it let's figure out what i did wrong so on the next one exactly do that again and that Mm -hmm. shows you know you you have to be humble and say help teach me absolutely but that's also important because you don't want to let that ruin the rest of your day what, do you, what would you say to someone who's just really struggling with a particular skill set in clinical? If it's a simple skill, well, I mean, it's not simple when you're a novice at anything, but, um, you know, laryngoscopy and intubation, maybe if you have a, a, a clinical skills lab or a simulation center, maybe you can spend extra time just with repetition, not just by yourself, but with somebody with some expertise that can show you some tips. And there's, there's always another tip or another trick. You think you've got things figured out. There may be one more way to do it. So whether it's you just being honest with your, and this this is a good path in clinical, is to tell your CRNA the next morning, like, talk about expectations for the day. I've been I've been struggling with just good mask ventilation. Can you observe me and tell me what you would do different or better? And at the end of every case or at the end of every procedure, whatever the procedure is, try to get some reflection and some, some feedback on how things went. I think that probably goes a long way. Repetition and somebody truly looking for ways to help you in the school, when we hear a student, first-year student, and it's maybe the end of the first or second semester, and they're still having some trouble with airway, you know, we're, we're going to do what we can to bring you in and lay out all the, sort of the roadmap to success. We're going to spend time with you in the clinical, uh, in the simulation center, and we're going to match you up with CRNAs at the hospital that have, you know, a vested interest in making sure you succeed. So we're going to give you every chance to do well by tailoring your learning opportunities. That's great. Karen, any yeah. thoughts on that? Most, I mean, mostly that, and then just make sure, for me, when I was struggling with something, I'd always go back and read it and make sure I really understood it right, right. and that my issue was putting it into practice, not that I didn't know it, because you don't want to be trying to put into practice misinformation. Exactly. So make sure you know it. And for me, I'm very visual, so if I was having airway issues, I'd go back and look at pictures and be like, what, if I was having trouble intubating, like, what am I really supposed to be looking for and seeing and you know maybe that's what I'm messing up like I'm not looking for the right structures or you know but that may not work for everyone but I think you know making sure that you have the didactic there and so that when you're trying to talk to a preceptor and say I need help with this you can give them the information that you have and say now help me put that into practice so that you're not just blankly well I don't know I'm not doing it right but I don't know what to change you know at Mm -hmm. least you have some basis for it yeah I think for myself some of those basic kinesthetic skill sets 
became checklists and flow sheets and stuff early on in clinical. So I had uh, a little note on my on my phone that I would keep that would say, you know, this is your room setup, this is your machine check, this is your induction sequence. So everything from you walk through the door with the patient through we're off to sleep, just step by step, what are the things that you're going to do? Because lessening the stress of everything else that's going on say if you're struggling with intubation if you feel comfortable with everything else you know then when you get to that point you're more calm you're more focused mm-hmm. you're more able to take time and breathe so and like you said Kara making sure that you've got the right information down is very helpful I can't tell you how many times early on I would pick up that laryngoscope with my right hand and just look at it and go there's something not right and then I would flip it to my left mm-hmm. hand before anyone noticed that I was pausing to just see no I, I got the text message I knew <laughs> I, I never came to you Dr. Medad I'll let mm-hmm. you know that so that's great the the cue card thing by the way is is great advice for everything Mm -hmm. early on there's just so much that's flowing through your head and you're nervous anyway but if you can give yourself um you know a room setup checklist you know it's a small note card if there's an induction sequence what drugs in what order at what doses just put it on the bed next to the patient's pillow they don't see it and you've got it there and uh, whatever it takes in the early days and weeks and then maybe flip the card over and it's what to do after you get the tube in because you're giving people high fives and you're excited you finally got it in the right hole and meanwhile you don't turn the ventilator on you don't turn on the gas so there are a few other steps you don't want to miss if it's on a card you know one more chance to be successful and go easy on yourself you will forget to turn the ventilator on and you will forget to turn the gas on and for patients listening to this somebody will remember just (laughs) not the student they are one-on-one monitored by real CRNAs (laughs) glad we had that cleared up so a couple more questions on success strategies for graduate school before we wrap up here I know that the graduate project and or thesis is a huge part of graduate school. Briefly, what did you each focus on for your studies um, during your master's program? And uh, what advice would you have for SRNAs in approaching their project or thesis? Well, I think, first of all, pick... Care, what, what did you study so, uh, so that we know? So <laughs> we did a, like a literature review comparing IV acetaminophen and IV catorlac for pain control in pediatric surgical patients. Published in the February issue of the AANA <laughs> Journal sure of 2014, was, yes, mind yes. you. Okay, great. Um, but I think, you know, pick a topic that you have some legitimate interest in because you're going to spend a lot of time reading about it and working on it. Pick, if you're going to work with somebody, pick somebody that you think you can really truly work well with and pick a way of doing the topic that you're pretty good at. Kate and I were both English majors in the past and both strong writers. And so for us to choose to write something was not overwhelming for me for some reason like a poster presentation sounded way more stressful and awful I'd rather write something and you know that is less stressful and that's something that comes more naturally and it was a topic that we both had maybe not by the end as much interest in as kind of tired of reading about it but you know it was genuinely interesting to me you know don't pick like a drug or you know a pharmacology topic or physiology topic if you're not really interested in it great in a good article, uh, if I can say that, if you if you want to know about acetaminophen <laughs> or Toradol, check out their article again in the February of 2014 issue of uh, the AANA Journal. So, nice job. And it was a great paper for my end to read, too. It didn't require much editing. I mean, there was some, clearly, but um, two English majors can't do better than that. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I mean... That's a rarity. And I didn't edit anything, yeah. which was kind yeah. of mind 
glowing. Complimentary. Yeah. Yes. Very nice. Dr. Medow, what did you study and what advice would you give? I had an aha moment in one of my lectures early on. Um, you know, one of the things we confront in anesthesia is pain. So I, I looked at uh, preemptive analgesia with NMDA receptor antagonists. So I focused mostly on ketamine and how they block ascending pain pathways. Great. Um, so, But it was a literature review. And for better or for worse, I was my, my research chair uh, was the current editor of the AANA Journal. So I assume that it was published? A research director. Actually, no, he wasn't, no? He wasn't looking okay. for publication. In fact, I think he probably threw it in the trash after I walked out. <laughs> um, I learned a lot, and I'm sure he did too, <laughs> but not in the way I would have you know, hoped, hoped for. So I, I wouldn't say it was a, a, a work of art, but I definitely learned a lot, and I learned a lot about the writing process. And uh, the person I referenced was, was Chuck Biddle, supremely intelligent guy, great writer, and, and very um, interesting style to his writing, which I've tried to, to do duplicate myself. What was the second part of the question? What advice would you give for folks when they approach their graduate project yeah. or thesis? Yeah, same thing. Kara mentioned it, I think, is is it's hard to know, but you're going to spend a lot of time invested in this topic. And if you if you barely like it when you start, you will hate it when you're done. If you think you like it a lot when you start, you might still like it when you're done. I mean, that's kind of the love-hate relationship with research anyways. Um, but you might also even find a springboard where you like it enough and you keep digging and you don't get all the answers. But Maybe that's a path you would jump into if you ever pursue doctoral work is you've started something and then you continue it on at a, right. a better level. But it's, yeah, try to like it when Great. you start. Very good. And if you have no ideas at all, go talk to, you know, one of your faculty or try to figure out a, a problem that's occurring in the clinical environment. And, and maybe that's how you decide to, to study something. Somebody says, you should look at whatever subject. And you're like, yeah, I think I will. Do you think that students need to have this figured out the first semester of Manistee to school? I think some programs are going to try to fast track it that way just for various reasons. Maybe this the, the time of year they start. It helps them meet the deadlines for different poster presentations and na national meetings, et cetera, but I think it's unlikely that uh, that you will be able to invest any time in thinking about what you're going to do with your research work in the first semester. You're so busy. Yeah. I would I would delay that decision if you could. Great. So don't stress about it right now if no. you're listening to this very early on in your program, but we wanted to kind of hit on that just to give you an idea. And I think, too, as you go through the program and get a better understanding of giving anesthesia, you get a better idea of what would actually be an appropriate or useful Great. topic, you know, because some of my ideas first semester may have been interesting to read a little bit about, but I don't know that I could have turned them into a whole project. But as right. I start to really figure out, you know, giving anesthesia and things I do and don't like to give and patients I like taking care of and, you know, some of my major things that I think about or I'm concerned about with my patients that help me figure out a topic. So I think, you know, if you try and figure it out too early on, you don't really have a good right. idea of where you should be picking a topic from. Yeah. Well, if great. Sense. Good advice. Good advice. So lastly, what do you think is the best plan for studying for boards? Same as studying for school. Study the way that works for you. Don't try a new way of studying for boards, I don't think, is a good idea. Some people take review courses and some people do online programs. And, you know, there's tons of different options, I think. I like to read books. I like paper. I like books. I like writing in them and writing notes and circling and highlighting. And so I did books so that I could read them. Other people did 
you know, things on the computer, that wouldn't work for me because I don't like looking at a computer screen right. and I can't touch it and write it down. And I don't remember where I saw something as well. Like I'll remember, oh yeah, like when I'm doing this section, I remember it was on that page in the middle and that's what I need to go back to. And so that works for me. So I think just yeah, that's great study advice. how it will work for you and then you'll be more likely to be successful. I don't think one specific program or technique is better. And how are boards? Boards were not as bad as I thought, but I was so amped up and stressed. Because I cried through the whole yeah. thing, but I passed, so it's okay. I'm a little you little cried while taking oh, boards? Oh, I cried through the whole thing. While you're, mm-hmm. while you're actually like on the exam taking boards. But that's that's how I... It's, I cried through the GREs. That's why the keyboards are covered in plastic. Yeah. So short out. <laughs> I cried through the GREs. I cried through the nursing boards because I just get myself very... Like, everything is riding on this. And that's, you know... It's a big moment. It's it. She's it actually is. crying and right now during the interview. <laughs> she is. Not. It's a big day. I thought about crying last night because I was like, I don't want to talk on You're doing on great. Microphone. But, but no, I mean, I did cry through the whole thing, but I knew I was going to do that because that's mm-hmm. how I do things. Yeah. Um, so again, if that works for you, there's no problem with it. You can get up and take breaks during boards if you need to. I think I had to get up four times. It counts against your time, but you're allowed to do it. The little lady at the desk gave me a hug at the end, which I appreciated. She made me feel much better. You were so filled with tears. <laughs> yeah. And, that's but great. again, if it works for you, that was my, that's my technique for getting through things. Excellent. And it works. So Excellent. There you go. Nice job. Yeah. Not, not a lot to add. I guess I would say bring Kleenex. Yeah. If, right. If right. that is your, your, so you're needed. Um, Great advice. I think it's repetition, though, like anything. You think about the accumulation of information you gain in that first semester, and then over the next two or three years, however long your program is, you gradually, I don't know how to word this differently, you, you get more and more stupid academically because you spend so much time in the clinical world. Maybe you're not going back and remembering a lot of the basic fundamental science. Boards test you on basic fundamental science and application. So if you don't have the fundamentals, you won't have it. My, I would say while you're in school, this is wildly unpopular, but not only should you be semester studying the semester you're in, take every once in a while to go back and look at last semester semester and keep those concepts fresh and then finally when it's truly launch time and and all the advice i just gave by the way nobody does um but i would encourage it nonetheless but when you're in your last semester and your you know boards are suddenly three or four months away you know you have to commit time every single day if you're tired it doesn't matter you need to get up early and study and then go to clinical and then come home and study and do it again and again and that's where you know the family neglect and all that stuff kind of comes again you're stressed and they're stressed everybody wants it to be over but you know you have to run until you get past the finish line it's not enough to just kind of limp, limp past you you don't want to feel like you could have done more to prepare for boards right and on the day of boards don't bring your notes with you mm-hmm. you know don't don't study on you it's done you know as much as you need to know on the day of board so clear your head maybe even the night before get a good night's sleep and and um and know that you've already put in the work i mean it is done you're going to go in there and you look at the stats people are successful on boards you are going to do well if you commit the time great yeah you're never going to know everything so what except for dr mcdowell (laughs) but you know there's going to be questions on the boards that you don't know you're like i've never seen that drug before or i have no idea what that's talking about and that's just how it's going to be but it's not going to be every question you know i think my first question popped up and i about a drug that i knew but that we never never used Mm -hmm. so it's a guess and then then that question is done and don't 
dwell on it. You can't go back to it. You can't change it. Just like move on to the next one. And Great. so I think to having good test taking skills, like understand how to test on the computer and how you budget your time and all of that. And yeah, definitely don't study right before or the night before, because if you don't know it, you're not going to learn it in the parking lot. Yeah. That's five minutes time. before you go to brunch, right. you're just going to get yourself confused right. and overwhelmed. And yeah. Great. Well, nice job. So if you could summarize your advice for grad students that are uh, either in a program or getting ready to start a program, what are some of the hallmarks that you would offer? Be really good at pharmacology and physiology. Like, that's it from beginning <laughs> this to is end. Anesthesia. I mean, it is. It is. Like if you don't know that, you're not going to know the drugs. If you don't know that, you're going to look stupid in your interview trying to get into school talking about things you don't understand. And I think you can use that stuff to figure out a lot of test questions and board questions. Like if, if you understand how receptors work, you can kind of tease out if you don't maybe know the exact answer. You can figure out what they're asking you based on the receptor they named or they say this is what you're trying to do and you know how your body does that. You can tease out answers. And I Great. Think, I don't know, just, that's it. Just know that stuff. Yeah, just physiology and pharmacology. Yeah, that's but, all you need I mean, to know. It's everything. It's, everything. Yeah, just know everything. But, yeah, and if you don't have a good basis in that, start now. Great. Super. Wonderful. Yeah. Start start now. She's right. I mean, the, the day you get into the ICU, you probably did it. Maybe you were thinking anesthesia school already, but maybe not. But once you set your sights on anesthesia school, you know, ask yourself why often. You know, why do we do this? Why is there another way to do this? Talk with your friends if they work in other hospitals and see how they do it. Um, it sounds kind of lame to constantly have to be reading. You know, you've graduated nursing school and you're in the ICU working, right? And suddenly you're a student again, but you kind of want to do that. And then take CCRN. It really does prepare you to think about standardized exams and pharmacology and phys physiology. Yeah, and then, and then communicate with the program you want to get into. Let them know that you really like their program. What will it take for you to get an interview there? And they'll probably tell you. Excellent. And I think if you if you haven't gotten in, uh, we've I've seen that in friends. I've seen that uh, in people who have applied here. Uh, stick at it. Same thing with the anesthesia school. If you have a setback in clinical or a test, stick at it. It is possible. Um, there's been folks in our program that have had babies in the past, whose spouses have had babies in the past, who have gotten divorced, who are getting married. You know, all of, you know, life continues uh, in and around anesthesia school, and it is possible to get through and be successful. Mm -hmm. So work hard and stay at it. Definitely. Great. Well, nice job, y'all. Thank you so much for coming today to talk about how to be successful in graduate school. So sure. we hope that that's helpful for everybody out there. I hope so. Hey, y'all. John here. If you're digging the show, will you take a couple of minutes and drop a review of Anesthesia Guidebook on Apple Podcasts? Your comments and ratings help other people trust the show. Also, send a link to the podcast to your classmates and colleagues. Word of mouth is the best way for Guidebook to grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.